very first time on the Havilah podcast, I have my hero, my friend, and my mom all wrapped up into one person on this podcast. And I'm really excited for you to meet the woman that created me and made me and formed me and disciplined, spanked me and <laughs> made you the woman me. you are today. Yes, made me the woman I am today. So this is my mother, Susie Amfuso, is on the podcast today. Hi, mom. Hi, darling. How you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for yeah, having how's, me. How's dad? This is out of my box. Oh, dad's doing well. Dad is at a meeting. He's so meeting. All right. there's peace. Fair enough. And Bella's doing well as well. Bella's our family dog. Oh my gosh, yes. on a prayer. <laughs> That's right. How old is Bella now? Bella is 13, but she Bella looks like 13. she's 20. <laughs> she does. She's we just get happy together and Bella's walking around with like patches of hair missing and she can't see anything. She's like a little possum. That's what I call her. Yeah, but you don't get rid of someone just because they have some handicaps, right? (laughs) I don't know. I I don't know if that relates to animals, but no, I'm kidding. Of course not. Of course not. God is the one that gives life and death and we receive for that. Um, Okay. So mom, I'm really excited that you're here because I want to ask you some questions. Um, Basically the first question I have is who is your favorite child? <laughs> Just kidding. I kidding. I don't really need to ask that question because we both know the answer. Um, <laughs> but I actually want to ask you some questions. You know, you, one thing I love about you, mom, is you loved mothering. And that was like a part of your life. Did you always want to be a mom? I did. I always had it in my heart to be a mom. And I think that was because my mother was a great example of how fun a mom could be. Um, And so that was always a high bar in my family was to be a good mom. And there was never any expectation on me to be anything else. And so I look forward to it. And what's amazing is your mom took her sister's, her sister um, died in childbirth. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yes. And she took her son and raised her as her own. Right. She did. Yeah. Was that like, did you, were you fully aware of that from the very beginning? No, we weren't. We weren't aware of it until I would say my brother got to be five or six. And then what they do is the welfare company comes out and they interviewed my brother and just said, you know, have you been treated well? Do you want to stay here? And of course, wow. he didn't know anything different. And we were all raised the same. I'm, I would never think of my brother as being really my cousin uh, because he yeah. came right out of the hospital. Yeah. So uh, he's always been my brother and uh, we've never, and there's never been a favorite things going on with the family. So it's worked out really well. Yeah. It's really amazing. And I, I mean, it's even, I have to remember that like, oh yeah, that happened. But mm-hmm. what an amazing woman to go from three kids to four kids and effortlessly raise your, her sister's son. Right. Yeah. No, beautiful. It's true. And what I loved about grandma was grandma was a hairstylist, right? Mm-hmm. She was a cosmet- cosmet- I can't say that word cosmetologist. Mm-hmm. Yes, like you that. got it. <laughs> she, um, and so they lived on a ranch out in um, Marysville, which is kind of, um, if you're familiar with California, just think of it as a body and then think of it as like, there's an armpit on the body. Oh. <laughs> so they lived in this little ranch and my grandpa was a beef farmer and uh, my grandmother had a salon um, on, I think he built it for her. Right? He did. Off of the garage. Yes. Well, the story was, is my dad had melanoma cancer because he was a a farmer and he was in the sun a lot. 
And when it was diagnosed in those days, it was called Black Death because they had no chemo really? or anything like that. Uh huh. And so my mom thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to raise these four kids. And she loved doing hair. So um, daddy built her a shop on the house and she did all the, the little ladies in the community and she loved it. And, and then dad had a surgery and the surgeon got it all out and daddy lived to be 78. Yeah. Which is amazing. And she was always really right. spiffy. I, I, sometimes people right. ask me like, do you, you know, your hair and makeup and who taught you? And I think it's kind of in my DNA, like my genes, mm -hmm. the right. women were very much more spiffy and they like to right. do hair and makeup and all that. Yeah. So it's really beautiful. I wish grandma was still alive because I just have really fond memories of her. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious for you, mom, yeah. um, what was the one thing that you would have done differently as a mom? Uh, had boys. Have more of no. me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> oh gosh. That, that's a very difficult question because, you know, at, of course, everything's hindsight. You know, when you look back, um, you think of maybe, I think even allowing um, you girls to even fail a little bit more and not mm -hmm. rescuing you so many times because, you know, as a parent, you want to definitely protect your children. And, and, you know, there were times when we really protect you from things that were dangerous, but just everyday decisions and things like that. Um, I think I probably would have let you experience, um, making wrong decisions a little bit more and then yeah. walking you through that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Not being afraid of us to fa fail. I think there was a yes. bit of it with you know, as, especially I think in the seventies and eighties and when we were ra being raised, mm -hmm. um, there was kind of this concept that, you know, protection was at the highest level of right. like protection and keeping you protected, which is true. That's our role as a parent, but mm -hmm. there is a bit where being able to fail in a safe environment holds a lot right. of value. And I don't know if we necessarily knew that fully. Right. Yeah. We use the word enabling now these days, uh, parents that enable their kids by protecting mm -hmm. them from every, shielding them from everything they can. And then, you know, when the child grows up and tries to be an adult, they really don't know how because the parent never trained them in failure and how to walk through failure and how to feel good about yourself after failure and the yeah. positive things that can come out of failure. So, um, yeah, I think that would be something we could probably learn these days. Yeah. It's kind of amazing because you and dad, you know, you both came out of the hippie movement, not, did not know God, was not raised in these, this God-fearing home. And so you both met each other. In fact, mom, you were, pre you were married before dad. Right. And you married your high school sweetheart. And yeah. then he was killed in a plane crash. Mm -hmm. And then you married dad. And what's interesting is, is that you both did not have a godly home, although you had a good home. Um, right. You had a better home than dad did at times. Mm -hmm. Um, but you guys chose to raise us as believers and I didn't ever feel like that there was a deficit there. Um, mm -hmm. but you guys were really honest about your past. And mm -hmm. I think that was really important growing up. Can you, why did you and dad choose to be honest about your past with Deborah and I? Well, I, I think being, um, transparent about your past, uh, and not without being too graphic, um, allowed you to see that we were human. And I think it allowed you to see how God can redeem your past. Mm -hmm. And if we protected you from knowing who we were, then you would, I think, grow up in this idyllic view of life and that your mom and dad were perfect and they never had any issues, but us being able to be transparent before you and, you know, explaining how God views 
um, all the issues that we went through and walking you through that biblically, I think gave you a, a firmer foundation. And it, I think it made you and your sister be very real and very transparent and not afraid to be honest and not yeah. afraid, yeah, to be transparent. I think that's helped you a lot. I did too. And even, you know, a lot of the ministry that Ben and I have at Truth the Table, a lot of people that resonates with them, like, oh, you're so honest or you're so, you know, transparent about your life. And I just think, yeah, I think I was, I think I had an environment where I was allowed to do that because mm -hmm. you and dad did that and you modeled that which is really significant. And without details, I think that's the issue. Some people get into sharing all of the ins and outs of it. And mm -hmm. that's like, where's the line for parents that are listening that are like, oh, I want to tell my kids, but I don't know how much to share with them. Mm -hmm. Well, I think um, a sharing, I think sharing an overview of what went on, but then uh, you, you never give children more than they can handle. And so I think you have to kind of observe and just give them enough. And if they ask questions after that, then you can give them more. Yeah. But I think too many times we go over the line by sharing everything. And then the children don't know how to respond to that or where to put that in their life or what that, because children think literal. And so when you talk that way, they think literal and yeah. they don't know how to process it as abstract or where to put it in your little brains. So we just kind of watched as you, as we shared things with you, like for instance, when it came to dating, then we were able to share with you our experience in dating and what that looked like in the world. And, um, and I think that helped you girls understand a little bit more about even the human nature. It did. It yeah. did. And you guys didn't hold back. I think that was really important is that you guys were willing to share regret and pain. Right. So it wasn't just like, don't do that. Cause I told you to, but it was like, mm -hmm. guys, this is what regret and pain does. And dad, you know, dad said it led me to being suicidal for six months of my life and, mm -hmm. you know, heartache and, you know, rejection and all the things you experience and you can't avoid that at all costs, but there is a, a level where we kind of lean into the punch and yeah. you guys are saying, don't Very lean good. into this, be fully awake in the middle of this. Cause you could really get hurt. You mm -hmm. can really have lasting scars and it can change you. So I just love that. You know, mom, something I really love about you is you've always you know, had a passion about raising kids. And what's something that you see in this generation of women that are trying to raise kids? What's something that you, that you really believe that they need to know about um, their journey as a mom? And what was the thing that kind of grounded you to be a mom and to, I guess, give yourself permission to kind of fully embrace motherhood without needing something else? Yeah. Well, I think, uh, of course, we all talk about social media and how that has influenced uh, moms. I think we have to be careful uh, or at least realize that you are unique. You are different yeah. than everybody else. And God has given you your children. He has given you your personality, your disposition. He has given you, if you have a husband, um, that husband to help raise the kids. Um, and so I think uh, with social media, I think uh, parents or moms feel like they have to be perfect. Yeah. And it's such a fallacy because we were never called to be perfect. You know, we were just, we, we are, I always looked at it like we are, um, we are not owners of our children, but we are stewards over our yeah. children. And yeah. I, and, and just to be honest, I think the word, because, you know, the word creates, you know, God created the word, or the world with the word spoken word. And so it was very important that I raised you girls knowing the word of God, because that is really where you get 
your security, where you get your self-esteem, where you get who you're supposed to be, and you become comfortable in who you are because the word of God begins to feed you and you begin to change your thinking instead of having worldly thinking in the way you should raise your children, you're, you have biblical thinking. Yep. And that was always important to me um, to know the word, to be able to counteract what the enemy would like to tear down, counteract, you know, some of the habits that you want to raise your kids with that are positive. Um, you know, you always have that, you know, that fight in, inside yep. of you. And, and I know that, you know, in, in my day it was, um, you know, is well, of course, it was Oprah and Dr. Phil and all those guys that were kind of giving information out there about raising children. And so I came to a decision early on that I was going to raise you according to the word of God and according to how the Holy Spirit, you know, yep. was going to direct us and not look at the look at the outside world's information uh, necessarily to raise you girls. Um, and so, I, you know, nowadays, I would just caution moms to not uh to be careful that it doesn't become a priority to find out how everybody else is raising their kids and and that's how because your children have a destiny and you are part of that and you want to raise them to fulfill that destiny but if you're looking at other women in, in that comparison trap which is out there and you begin wanting to raise your kids like somebody else is that won't work because yeah. you're unique god is that's unique. right that makes sense. It totally does. And I think some of the core values that you've carried, and I think I want moms to hear and something I would love nothing more than to give my own kids is number one, you were really clear that you would, you always told us we had a purpose and a destiny mm -hmm. and that was vision, right? So right. the Bible says, if you don't have a vision, you perish. So mm -hmm. if your vision is just to get your kids out of the house or your vision right. is, okay, kids, all you want to do is get married and that's their only vision, that, that is very short-lived. But to mm -hmm. say God has a purpose and he has a plan for your life and everything you're going through, God has ordained, it right. really helps in the middle of the struggle, mm -hmm. not just the good times, the bad times. So you and dad were really good about saying you have a purpose and a destiny. And I remember even as a little girl, I mean, you guys mm -hmm. used to pray over us. Mm -hmm. And you would say, remember Deborah and I, when we were little, what you would say to us? Uh, <laughs> like you would look at us I and say a you're lot a leader. Oh, right. Right. Yes. I, yeah. Early on, um, you know, we, we know that the spoken word creates, I mean, I, I already shared that. And so we knew that if we spoke over you and prayed over you consistently, yeah, that that word would come true. I mean, we believe that that is faith, that you believe the word of God is true and it will come to pass. And so every night, the day we brought you home from the hospital, every single night we laid hands on you and we spoke over you and we said, you are a leader for your generation. Yep. Every night you heard yep. that probably for 18 years. And yep. so, you know, it did come to fruition, but it takes time and it takes faith. And we, but we really believe that the word of God would come to pass. And, you know, both you and your sister have made marks, you know, in your generation. And so that was, that's the exciting part. Um, and declaring, like you said, your destiny and, you know, even when you girls would get in trouble in your teenage life and you would begin to like buck against the, the uh, boundaries in our home, I, I always knew, and I'd always like in my heart, pray, Holy spirit, give me something that I can share, you know, with Havila that will help her to understand. And it always went back to speaking to your spirit. I never yeah. asked your flesh. I never spoke to, um, you know, your body. I just spoke to your spirit and I would always go back. The Lord would always take me back to, 
speak to their spirit. And I say, you know, have, you have a destiny on your life. There's a real enemy that wants to destroy you, that wants to rob you of your destiny. And you have a destiny and God's hand is on you. And this is one, you know, area that you are being robbed and you need to take, you know, and then I'd go on, of course. I'd you, would. On, you would, you yeah, would. And share. And then your, your little spirits, I could see your spirits, like all of a sudden your spirit would become stronger than your flesh. Your spirit wow. would become stronger than your soul. I could see it in your face. Like all of a sudden your eyes would get brighter and you'd go, yes, I have a destiny and a purpose and I'm not going to let the enemy rob me. And you would just like, I could just see you get a grip. And it was just so beautiful the way the Holy Spirit would do that. It, and you know what it is, that's one of my favorite things that you and dad did. And it's something I use today. I have that self-talk inside of me, like, oh, whatever I'm struggling. Oh, I have a destiny. I have a call. The enemy wants to hurt me. He wants to take me out. But then also I, I'll do it to my husband. I'll do it to my kids. I mean, I will yes. recognize the spiritual battle we're in, not to manipulate them to feel like mm -hmm. every single thing that they're doing is just the devil. But to mm -hmm. let them know that what they're experiencing can feel overwhelming mm -hmm. because there is a battle inside. Right. And I remember specifically in high school, there were times when I just was so strong-willed and just, I don't understand and I don't get what we're doing and I don't understand why you won't let me. And then you would begin to speak to my spirit. And I remember thinking, I am not going to let this happen. <laughs> I knew I would soften. <laughs> doing it. I would be like, oh, I'm going to leave. I remember. So, remember right. so I would just fight it until finally I would break and I would cry. And I would say, I know. And it's true. And, and it's been such a profound reality in my life. But you guys would do that consistently. That wasn't like when I was acting like a brat. It was right. really like every single day you were challenging. So it wasn't like it came out of nowhere but you guys were every day challenging me. But then sometimes you would say, you know, Havilev, I don't, I know that there's a lot going on here and I can't answer every question you have or resolve it. But what I will tell you is there's a battle going on and you get to decide who you want to be right now. And that was critical to me becoming the woman that I am. And I hope it's critical to, to my boys becoming the men that they're called to be mm -hmm. and all of us living. So anyone can do that who's listening today. They can take a moment with their kids and whatever battle they're facing, and not that you're projecting something, but you in faith are saying, sweetheart, there is a, there's a plan and a purpose for your life. And I want you to know that whatever you're battling is not just about what you're battling. You, that there is a war inside of you, but you get to choose who you want to be today. And right. you're powerful to choose that. And you know, the Bible says where two or more agree, there mm -hmm. is, there's power and breakthrough. And I just mm -hmm. think about that when the parent begins to speak to the child and they agree, that's two people agreeing right. and there's power and breakthrough. Mm, that's very significant. Period. Very, yeah. very significant. So I think the idea that they have a plan and a purpose, that there is a real battle, that they mm -hmm. get to decide who they're going to be. And another thing that you really communicated was, I am not parenting the world's kids. I'm parenting you. Right. So how did you, you know, you kind of said a little bit about the Holy Spirit showing you, but did you make that decision early on that you were going to be that you weren't going to kind of bow down to being the cool mom or the mom that everybody, you know, was doing what everybody else was doing, but you decided I got to raise these kids as my own. How did you make that decision? Oh, that's interesting. Um, I, I think, I think, um, before your daddy and I had you girls, um, we had seen lots of children being raised and, and like you, uh, shared earlier, we were raised during that hippie generation. And so it was really kind of everybody was free. Nobody put restraints on anybody. Nobody put restraints on the kids. So 
honestly, some of the kids were so unruly and out of control, uh, but the parents didn't know what to do because you were raised in that situation. Um, yeah. And so early on, your dad and I made a decision that we, before the Lord, were going to raise our girls to serve the Lord all the days of their life as best we could. And so um, we always knew that, like I said earlier, we were stewards. We're not owners of you, but we are stewards and we wanted to steward you well. And we always said, we will not stand before the Lord for any other children in this world. We will stand before the Lord for how we raised you. Yeah. And we took that as a, a mandate from the Lord. I mean, we took it very seriously. We felt it was an honor to be able to raise children, uh, to serve the Lord. And so early on, we made that decision. And so when you know, those kind of things came up of, well, the other kids can do it. Why can't we? And we would just say, you know, girls, uh, we will stand before the Lord for you, not them. And this is a decision that we feel, we feel will help you and not hinder you towards your destiny. And so we kind of did that, that sort of thing. I love um, that. Yeah. And I was also wanted to share too, along these lines is um, for moms to just stay calm. <laughs> yeah. I can't stress that enough with so much out there. A lot of moms, begin to raise their kids with their insecurities. If yeah. you're a mom out there and you have insecurities about how you were raised or you have fears about how you were raised, I would just say, you know, get the help that you can uh, and, and really um, not raise your kids with your insecurities because then you begin to put pressure on them to perform in a way that maybe you were hurt as a child. Yep. So um, I would say, you know, just stay calm in your heart ask the Holy Spirit what to do, what you can do. Um, and not because you don't want to raise your kids with emotions. And a lot of times with, with the way you're fed with society, you are raising your kids with your emotions. Like today, I feel great. So I'll let them do this tomorrow. I feel bad. So they're not going to do that. And then the kids don't know boundaries, but if you can be consistent, you know, with your boundaries and try and stay within that without, um, raising them emotionally uh, yep. because of what you're going through. I mean, I would encourage moms to do that the best they can. It's so true because really what's happened is a lot of us, and we don't really realize that there is an insecurity or have it, have a kind of a sense of loss of self or it's triggering something. And so when mm. our kids get in it, it's like all of a sudden your kid doesn't get invited to the birthday party and you freak out Yes. and you think, why am I freaking out? And it's because you, you remember feeling left out. And so your goal is I'm never going to let my kid feel left out. That's good. And, yeah, right. and that's, that's actually going to hurt them because what you want to do is communicate. I'm with you. You can mm -hmm. get through this and pain is not the end. You mm. know, you have to walk through pain to be whole. And so I see so many parents, their goal is to basically facilitate their kid never going through what they went through. And right. so if they were, if they were neglected then they're going to overindulge. And if they were, you know, if their parents were strict then they're going to let their kids do anything or, mm -hmm. or even opposite. And it, I think what it really comes down to is you cannot raise whole kids. If you're not willing to be whole yourself, Excellent. you cannot right. raise whole kids. If you're not willing to be whole yourself. And oftentimes getting whole as an adult is more difficult than a child. We have mm -hmm. to actually find the time. We have to re renew our minds. We have to, you know, listen to the word more. We've, we've got to rejuvenate and re, you know, renew those parts that have been dead. And mm -hmm. we often, you know, in the middle of it, we don't even know that insecurity is there until we have the child. And meanwhile, all of our free time is gone. All of our <laughs> sleep is gone. And true. now we got to work on a heart issue or a head issue or a relational issue. And so I think one thing that you're really talking about is the partnership of the Holy Spirit. 
that mm-hmm. you don't have to do this alone and you don't have to figure this out alone. And that if you ask the Holy Spirit to help you, he can do a quick and effective work in your heart. And that right. was something I think that you kind of touched on was that relationship with God to ask him, which I think is critical. Mm-hmm. I think it's yeah, critical. Th- yeah, no, there were many times where I didn't have the answer in myself. And you really have to rely on the, on the Lord to give you wisdom. The Bible says, you know, seek wisdom first. And it's really true because um, you don't have all the answers. And if you're the type of person that feels like you have to have all the answers, then you will fail. But if you, like you said, depend on the Holy Spirit and really, and you know, there were some times when I say, you know what, I don't know the answer to that, but I will find out. You did. And I, I remember go, that. Uh-huh, and I will go back to the word and I will ask God, you know, where can I come to um, the answer for these questions that the girls are asking? And so, yeah, it really does um, boil down to a relationship with the Lord. I think if you're trying to raise your kids on your own understanding and you're trying to raise the kids according to, you know, the world standards or society standards, uh, there's no guarantee. We want to guarantee that you would serve God all the days of your life. And the only guarantee we had was to raise you parallel to the Bible. And we always yeah. use the Bible as the go-between. Like I never said, we never said, well, daddy said this or mommy said that. And then they, but we always said, this is what the Bible you says. Did. You did. And that made you feel like, okay, it's not mom's advice. It's not dad's advice, but it's God's advice. And so we made that a foundation in our lives to make sure that you knew that this was biblical and not just something that we found out or we talked about ourselves. It's so true. And you, I think you were really key at making sure that you, you, you said the Bible or referenced the word. Yeah. So a lot of times we'll say things as parents that we know the Bible says or the word says, but we don't really tell our kids that's where we're getting it. Mm-hmm. And so be able to tell our kids, you know, God says this, it really adds to their faith and they'll use it for their whole lives. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Very so good. I'm curious, um, as you know, as moms out there and as they're trying to figure out their lives, which is, it's difficult, you know, being a mom is a difficult thing. Um, What happens to, you know, a mom that feels like, you know, I don't, I'm starting late. Like I don't have that foundation. I'm not married to somebody who has the same belief system. What, what do I, what can I do today to get, to go forward? And Mm. you know, how, how do I start when I feel like I'm already failing? Um, you know, I love this because God is a redemptive God. I mean, he loves to make something out of nothing. And I think if you're a mom that is single or you're struggling with your children, you're starting late, I think just even getting before the Lord and just saying, you know, Lord, I don't know how to do this. I mean, just being honest before he can take anything and, and then just being sensitive, like even like even sitting your kids down and saying, you know what, I've, I've not been the kind of mom I want to be, but I want to raise you you know, with godly standards and we're going to start doing some new things and then incorporating some new things that God gives you. But knowing that God knows your situation, he knows your children, he created you, he created your children, and he will give you the tools you need to help your kids grow healthy, wholesome, you know, lives. It's true. And I think prayer, you know, you mentioned earlier, I think prayer, I think we don't give enough value to really spending time in prayer and it is so valuable to be able to hear the voice of God, because if you don't spend time with the Lord, you'll never hear his voice and you'll never know, okay, is that me? Is that him? Uh, But it says, my sheep hear my voice. And spending time is how you do that. 
I love that. And it's very yeah. true. And it takes time. And, and every time yes. you feel insecure, or overwhelmed, you can, you have a comforter, you have a helper. The Bible says right. you are never alone and he'll mm -hmm. help you. He'll help. He'll give you, he'll bring the remembrance things that you need to remember. Yeah. To help. And I just think about that. Even if we have single moms on here, you guys are not alone. You have right. the, a husband, that's a spiritual right. husband that's there to help give you insight, to protect your kids when you cannot be there. To you know, A lot of moms are working a lot. They can't get there with their kids all the time, can't always be available, but God will fill in the cracks. He really will. Right. He will help. Right. And I think it's very important to realize that uh, when you can't parent them anymore, you can still love them by praying for them and still mm -hmm. standing in the gap for them. I think yeah. that's critical. That's you know, excellent. one thing I love too, mom is, and I think parents miss this, uh, is that they forget to play with their kids. Oh, Not that's good. Play like do Legos or that, but they actually plan play. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one thing I really loved about you, mom, was that you were willing to get on the floor and wrestle. <laughs> you were willing to like, <laughs> nah, I was strong, you, right? Yeah, you were very <laughs> still strong. I still think you could take me, but like, <laughs> You, what was that? How did you, did you have to think about that? Or what kind of maybe narrative did you tell yourself to really make sure that you were playing with Deborah and I and making sure that you planned fun? Well, I think we wanted Christianity to be fun. So many people make Christianity religious where it's a bunch of rules, a bunch of regulations, you know, doing things right. So true. But we wanted Christianity to be fun. I mean, God is the funnest person in the whole world. He made fun. And so we wanted to make sure that you girls enjoyed life to its fullest. And so we even, we even made up prayer times. Like when we'd pray around the table, we'd go, okay, let's do ET prayers. And we'd touch fingers. Okay, let's do yes. butterfly prayers. And we'd you know, <laughs> flutter our eyelashes at each other. And so we tried to make it so that you girls enjoyed being a Christian. And then it wasn't just boring, bland, you know, Christianity. And so that was really important to us. And, you know, your dad loves to play. And so, uh, we made sure that, you know, we had lots of time to do that with you girls. Yeah. I always loved that. Even when we traveled, you know, dad traveled for a living, you mm -hmm. guys would always find a museum in, in the city or, you know, find the swimming pool. And just, we're mm -hmm. always, it, I always felt that that ministry was not the top priority, although it was a very high priority in our lives. And, you know, we honored the environments we went into. I did feel that we were allowed to play and have fun. And that was part of building a relationship with you and dad. And even today, Deborah and I still want to go on vacation with you guys. We still want to go to hang out at your house. We've really developed a friendship. And I guess that's my question to you is, how did you develop a friendship with us that we still have today? I think because we treated you um, as uh, partners in our family. Like whenever we made decisions, you were always a part of it. You always felt like um, that you weren't left out and that just yes. dad and I were making decisions about what we should do, where we should go. Um, and so you were all, we always made you comfortable. Uh, we always want to make home feel like a safe, secure place. So when you came in from being out in society of the world or school, that when you came home, you could just be yourself. You could relax. You didn't have to worry about, you know, mom or dad blowing up at you or anything like that. But I wanted to create an atmosphere where you felt safe and we could all be ourselves. And so, and I think from that, and um, I know even during your teenage life, just always being available, like it was yeah. really important to me that I was available to you. Now, if I worked, then I would probably have made time available when I got home from work to spend with you. Yeah. It was important that we develop that relationship. And I think, you know, it grows. Um, 
Now I didn't have to work because we traveled a lot. So I didn't have anything like consistent that I was working at, but I made sure that when you came home from school, that I was available emotionally, not just, and, and I think with, you have to make sure that you are engaging, you know, a lot of engaging is listening. It's not talking, it's listening and listening to your child of what they're really saying. And if there's an issue looking for the root, not just a symptom, not just to put a bandaid over it to say, Oh, you'll get over it. But to really, you know, begin to cultivate that relationship where you're going deep and you're finding out what is the root, you know, of this issue that you're having and let's talk about it. And nothing was ever, um, put down, you know, we never you or made you feel like, Oh, why are you talking about that? Or, Oh my gosh. But, you know, made it sound like, this is part of life. This is part of a normal conversation. Even if inside I was dying, <laughs> like most parents do, like, oh my gosh, don't tell me that. On the outside, I would just be calm and say, okay, Lord, I'm just going to stay calm. Let's get to the root of this. Oh my thing. gosh. Yes. Yeah. And it was like, you're that always one time. good at that. You're always good at like not re- overreacting. Yeah. Not, yes. That's a, that's a good way to say it. Cause I remember that one time Havila, when you came home from school and you said, I don't want to be a Christian. And of course inside you're going, Oh my gosh, what happened <laughs> that you don't want to be a Christian. And then as you begin to talk and I begin to like, you know, ask you questions, we found out that the kids at school made fun of you because you were, um, you know, you had boundaries with your Christianity and you had won a re- an award of being good Christian character. And I think it made the other kids make fun of you and that hurt you. But we were able to like deal with that and talk about it. And so instead of just, you know, um, ignoring your or overreacting to what you were saying, we went for the root. And I think that's important too. I do too. I think understanding like, okay, this is not just, you're not taking it at face value, but you're going deeper to go, this is not like my child. Like my child is not that they're not sad like this, or they don't usually cry like this. And that takes self-awareness, but it also takes, um, self-sacrifice because sometimes we're like, I'm tired. I've been working. I don't want to go there with them. And we just let them kind of go up to their room and close the door or go get on their phone. And we don't really go, wait a minute. I am, they're my top priority and I want to be available. And so I always felt like you would, you would give me time. I'll never forget. Um, and I don't know why I have this memory, but I, we were in Tahoe and I came home from a really hard day at school. And I remember we had our living room, we built a home in Tahoe. They build homes where mm-hmm. the living rooms are up above. So you could see kind of the snow and the, you know, all that. Cause we was a snow country yeah. and I'll never forget, um, coming home and you were wearing this yellow shirt. You had these lambs. I think you had ironed on <laughs> one of your little shirts, <laughs> but you were sitting in this chair and you were smiling and I'll never forget walking living room and that comfort of knowing I can share with my mom and she's fully available and fully here. Mm. And I like to call it re-entry with my kids because my boys aren't like girls. They're not going to walk in and share their heart immediately. Um, You know, sometimes they're one word answers or I can tell something's bothering them. But with men, they don't necessarily want to be pride. So I call it re-entry where I know something's happening in their hearts. I don't know what it is. So I'll make myself available. I'll sit on the couch and I'll just wait. And I'll just kind of be there. So when they kind of wander down an hour later or 30 minutes later and they start talking, I'm available, but I don't, or I don't run up to the room and sit in there and go, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's going on? What's I'm not being that person. I'm just being available. And when I travel, because I do work, like oftentimes when I come home, my feelings will get hurt because I would miss my boys and I'd want to go like jump in my arms and celebrate that I'm home and let's connect. 
And they were like, great. Hi, mom. And then like not interested. <laughs> but I had to realize that, that they needed a re-entry moment. Yeah. And I think that's critical for parents. And that means not being on the phone in the car when your kids get in the car from school, but actually turning the phone off, turning off the radio and letting them talk, letting them have a moment to re-entry yes. with you or getting home and not jumping, going to your office and closing the door. And I know that we all have busy lives and sometimes it can feel like you're claustrophobic with your kids. But being willing to say, okay, I'm going to give them the first hour of when they get home to be with them. And that right. doesn't mean I have to sit and just not do anything, but it just means I'm available. If they come in and want to interrupt me, I'm here and I'm engaged. And it yeah. doesn't take as much as parents think. They think it's like, oh, I have to be available for four hours and go on a walk <laughs> and make them a dinner. And no, no, just a little bit. And some of you have kids that that's not your issue. So don't, that's fine. Like that, your kid comes in and tells you everything. So we're not talking to those parents. We're talking to the ones that need that re-entry. And then oftentimes, if you're hitting the same issue over and over and over, there's usually a root there. There's something yeah. that happened. And if you can give them time, remember Hudson one time just having such a hard time. And I didn't know what it was. He was being so rude to his brother. And I was like, what is going on? He's so rude. And we were like making them like sleep in the same bedroom and like, hey, if you don't want to be around your brother, you know, welcome to your best friend. And we were doing all these things. And then I was like, wait a minute, I'm kind of like something else is going on. And I took him upstairs and closed the door and sat him on my bed and just had a conversation and said, what's going on, Hudson? You are not like this. You are not this edgy. You're not this right. irritable. Excellent. What is happening? And he broke and he Aww. started crying. And he said, there's a, there's somebody who's been picking on me at school. And I, if I hadn't taken note that something was not okay, I could have just punished him over and over and over and like set up more rules and told him to get it together without realizing like he's trying to function about something in his heart that I haven't gotten to yet. Right. And there's a breaking. And doesn't mean we don't still deal with that stuff, but it's being available. Yeah, so that, mom, there is so advice. much we could talk about. I feel like I'm going to have you back on this podcast. <laughs> so much I still want to talk about, but I want to thank you for your time. Oh, and I want to thank you for being an incredible mom and a grandma. Almost perfect. Almost. 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 Oh, yeah, well. We'll talk about all your issues next time. <laughs> That's right. My insecurities. I love it. And I hope one day you and I can do a little bit more of a course together with kiddos. But overall, I just am so grateful for you. And I love you. And um, yeah, I appreciate right. you. I love you, darling. Thank you for inviting me. This has been wonderful. We'll do it again. Absolutely. Okay, bye, bye. Mom. Bye, sweetheart. Oh, 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 oh,